Johann Schmiegel, you've got the world's highest IQ. Yes, 247. Wow. Did you know that thanks to Salesforce with Einstein AI, everyone's smarter? Now everyone's an Einstein, just like you. But I'm the smartest. Not anymore. With connected data and trusted AI, everyone can give customers experiences they've only dreamed of. Oh, look, here's a few Einsteins now. Hey, hi. Hola, amigo. Everyone's an Einstein? It's okay, Johan. Let it happen. The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Bloomberg Audio Studios. Podcasts. Radio. News. You're listening to the Bloomberg Balance of Power podcast. Catch us live weekdays at noon Eastern on Apple CarPlay and Android Auto with the Bloomberg Business app. Listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts or watch us live on YouTube. Welcome to the Tuesday edition of Balance of Power uh, on this same day that the Senate actually passed something. They stayed all night. That wasn't originally the plan, but they just decided to go for it, you know, recess time and all that. Passing the National Security Supplemental 70 to 29 if you're playing along on your home game. Now, we know that this has been called DOA in the House by the Speaker. And I, you got to love Washington. He's out with what they were calling yesterday a preemptive rejection. Why wait for the bill to pass, you know, preemptively rejecting? Quote, in the absence of having received any single border policy change from the Senate, remembering Republicans didn't want the border deal attached, the House will have to continue to work on its own will on these matters. America deserves better than the Senate's status quo. Unquote. $60 billion on the line for Ukraine, billions more for Israel and Taiwan. As we assembled our panel, Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano are with us. Glad to say Bloomberg Politics contributors to help us make sense of it all. What do you think, Rick? It passed. Uh, it wasn't overwhelming, but it passed with a pretty good number here. Will it ever see the light of day now that it's gone through the Senate? Yeah, I mean, I think you got to give it its due. If someone said a month ago that this was going to pass without uh Homeland Security without border security attached to it by 70 votes in the Senate, you would have said, no way, that's not going to happen. Uh, well, it happened. Mm -hmm. And that gives it enough impetus to be serious when it hits the House. And, and as you point out, Joe, I mean, like, I am very dizzy with the back and forth <clears throat> between the Speaker and the Majority Leader of the Senate. Um, you know, we're not going to take this without uh, without border security. Put on the border security. We're not going to take it with this border security. Take off the border security. We're not going to take it without border security. I mean, like, oh, my God. I mean, is this the craziest debate you've ever seen? Uh, it it yeah. just it lacks seriousness. It's wacky. Aid for Ukraine has never been so close, at least most recent stretch, Genie, or felt so far away at the same time. Will this lead to a new bill then potentially in the House or, or just a stalemate? You know, my vote is on a stalemate. Um, forgive me for being pessimistic, but 
when he comes out and I love the phrase, you know, the pre preemptive rejection, that's a great way to put it. Um, you know, <laughs> Chris Murphy sent out a tweet last night or an X last night, which really yeah. summarized it. And really to Rick's point, he basically said the speaker requested border security. We did that. We put it on. The speaker said, no deal. We took it off. We sent it back to him without that. And he said, no, wait a minute. We need border deal. And then Chris Murphy ended by saying W something F. And that is really where many of us find ourselves, because what is happening? You wanted it. You don't. And lost in this is the reality that this is money very much needed and very much supported and even supported by some of the Republicans in the Senate who are now speaking out against it. At, at one point, at least they supported it like Lindsey Graham. So it is head scratching when you think about it. And I don't think this sees the light of day. I don't think a discharge petition is going to get this done. Yeah, you mentioned Lindsey Graham. The goalposts keep moving here, Rick. It wasn't just the border component. And I'm still a little bit dizzy and confused from all of that. But now the idea is that this money should be in the form of a loan, maybe even a zero interest loan with no due date. Senator Graham uh, parroting Donald Trump's idea here to say, quote, it should be a loan to the countries in question as suggested by President Trump. So we've just given up the ghost here on Senate or House leadership. Donald Trump is is running Capitol Hill. Well, he's certainly running the House. We've already come to that conclusion. That's one of the reasons you've had this kind of crazy reconsideration of all these debates. Uh, but I think there's still a fight going on in the Senate. Uh, the fact that this bill passed, you know, with 22 Republican votes uh, indicated in the Senate that Mitch McConnell still has a voice. And he may be the last man standing in a voice against Donald Trump <laughs> and this sort of haphazard foreign policy, national security. Lindsey Graham caved under the pressure of Donald Trump saying, nope. Uh, it's got to be my way, the highway invented this new loan program. Uh, and and it's just a complete non-starter on Capitol Hill. And it's uh, shocking and surprising to me, frankly, that someone with the stature that Lindy, Lindsey Graham has would ape uh, the Donald Trump line so quickly. Yeah, how about that? Well, look, we've got a lot of experience here in Rick and Jeannie, and nobody seems to know exactly where this is going to go in the House. We do know there will be an impeachment vote later on today. Alejandro Mayorkas up for round two. Remember the first one failed? Al Green, we talked to him from his hospital bed. High drama. I don't know if that's going to be possible this time around, uh, Jeannie. And if the House does impeach Secretary Mayorkas, what does that mean for the future of any border deal happening? You know, a border deal this year is simply off the table because the Republicans who asked for it decided they didn't want it when Donald Trump told them they couldn't do it. And that's the reality. They probably will get Mayorkas impeached today, but that is a non-starter. That is dead on arrival in the Senate. It's not going to go anywhere. But it is just indicative of this do-nothing Congress except the political bidding of Donald Trump. And that is simply where we are today. This is was disastrous. The first vote that Mike Johnson let them have on this, that they lost. And when they do get it, and they probably will today, it's equally as disastrous because all it's mm -hmm. doing is, again, the bidding of Donald Trump and nothing for the American people. You don't impeach because you disagree with somebody's policy. What you do when you disagree is you win elections and get your own guy or mm -hmm. woman in there. 
William Belknap resigned moments before the impeachment vote almost 150 years ago, Rick. That was Ulysses S. Grant's Secretary of War. He was going to be impeached over a kickback scheme involving government contracts. This has actually never happened. He resigned before the vote. Will this be the first in history? For a I love your history secretary? lesson. Too bad this wasn't as spicy as that one. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, I think if if, my, if Secretary Mayorkas uh, was reading the history in the tea leaves, I think he would just take himself out of this 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 debate. Uh, uh, he serves at the pleasure of the president. Obviously, the president doesn't want to fire him. He hasn't really done anything wrong as the president views it. But he is an impediment to, uh, frankly, the public thinking that Joe Biden has a border plan. I mean, he's spent hmm. politically. And I can't speak to the border policies and the leadership he has at the Homeland Security Department. But I think if I were the chief of staff at the White House, I'd be having an intimate conversation with Secretary Mayorkas <laughs> about his future. Wow. Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano. By the way, the majority leader, Steve Scalise, is back. So Mike Johnson thinks he's got the votes here. They better get it done before New York 3. That's happening today, of course. The vote to replace, well, to fill the seat left empty by George Santos. That could change the dynamic here. So the timing tonight is important. Face it, your business is unique. It faces challenges and risks that are specific to your industry and to the skills you and your team bring to every challenge. You need experienced insurance professionals. The Hartford accepts the challenge. The Hartford understands that protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can help provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-sized companies like yours to easily manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford faces any challenge to deliver innovative, customizable solutions that your industry and your unique company demand. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Meet Gary. Gary's about to become an Einstein in an instant. Whoa, Einstein hair. I like it. That's right, Gary, because you're using Salesforce powered by Einstein AI to connect data, predict business trends, generate personalized content, and wow customers. I do feel a lot smarter. Because you're not just Gary anymore. You're Gary, empowered by Einstein AI. Did you hear that, team? I'm an Einstein. Oh, can I get a selfie? The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. You're listening to the Bloomberg Balance of Power podcast. Catch us live weekdays at noon Eastern on Apple CarPlay and Android Auto with the Bloomberg Business app. You can also listen live on Amazon Alexa from our flagship New York station. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. We add the voice now of Nia Malika Henderson. Speaking of looking forward to this conversation, I always am. Bloomberg opinion columnist, we've pulled her Onto balance of power now for her second appearance. I'm so happy you're in the Washington bureau here because your finger's always on it. And I want to ask you about your column about the age problem. Yeah, Nia, it's great to see you. First, though, I this CPI is a big deal for this White House and not in a good way. You know, Joe Biden's been pretty good about applauding strong economic data, but when it gets to be good news on Main Street, bad news on Wall Street, sometimes you can't even tell anymore because prices are one of the biggest problems that voters have with them. Yeah, listen, I was down in South Carolina talking to voters about uh, the Democratic primary supporting Joe Biden. Their big concern was 
prices, yep. right? Uh, rent prices, egg prices, gas prices. And, and so you see those concerns. There was a time, a short window ago, where there seemed to be kind of optimism about the economy. Mm-hmm. Things were looking up. You saw the unemployment numbers. Those were uh, better last go around. But listen, I mean, these are sort of the day-to-day realities that people uh, feel and experience, right? People don't experience the unemployment number, right? right. They experience how much does it cost to buy a bag of groceries at the Piggly Wiggly. Mm-hmm. And so it's a real drag, I think, if you're thinking about Joe Biden and running on uh, his accomplishments, running on a stronger economy, they've got some challenges. Well, if we get another leg up in inflation, certainly the timing would be horrible. Just as the White House gets ready to celebrate soft landing, mm-hmm. maybe this thing heats up again, yeah. which, you know, I guess could be good for some in terms of wages and so forth, but uh, not good for the inflation narrative. Uh, when you add it to what you're writing about, we've got we've got some problems. When you add the border, we've got three problems there, and we can get to all of them. Uh, the Biden age question is an important one, and your column is great. Biden's team can't ignore his age problem is the headline. And I want to get to your solutions here because I think you want him to embrace it. But, you know, John Stewart came uh, back to the Daily Show last night. And you know it was one of the first issues he grabbed onto. For our listeners and viewers on YouTube, here's Jon Stewart back at the desk. We have two candidates who are chronologically... Did we lose him? (laughs) But listen, he's joking about the age thing. (laughs) Right. Walk with me. Um, as, As you are... And I find it interesting here because I think a lot of folks look back at that news conference last Friday as a turning point, potentially, not for the better, at that news conference he held late at night in the White House. It's brought it from something that Democrats have been talking about, maybe quietly, to something Mm -hmm. we're talking about out loud now. And you say, go for it. Embrace it. Be dark Brandon. How does, right. how does he do that? Yeah, listen, I, I think you saw a glimpse of it a bit. He was in front of a group. I think it was like the legislatures or something like that. And he was sort of joking about his age. He said something like, listen, I've been around a long time. I do actually remember that. And the crowd laughed. I think moments like that sort of hang a lantern on his problem. Everybody knows this is a problem. Democrats have sort of privately talked about it and privately counseled the White House to address it more. I think one of the things he can do, too, is show that he has a big expert team. Mm -hmm. I was remembering uh, Donald Trump, who used to have those big uh, cabinet meetings that would be partly televised. You know, the the folks from TV would go in and see, you know, maybe the top five minutes of it. Everyone would go around and sort of obsequiously praise Donald Trump. Joe Biden doesn't necessarily need that, but that kind of show of force, I think, Mm -hmm. telegraphs to the American people and voters that, A, he's got a strong team. The team that he does have uh, sees him as a leader and looks to him for for guidance. So I I think things like that uh, would go a long way. The other thing is just get him out there more. This is clearly a White House that is nervous about putting the president out there. Is it true that he wants to get out more and he's got reins on Listen. You know, there's always this tension with mm-hmm. White Houses, right? The principal typically says they want to get out more, but they're being, you know, sort of held back by other folks. Hard to believe, though, right? You're the president of yeah, the United well, States. Listen, You're the leader of the free that's world. That's what they get paid for. Yeah, exactly. So, listen, I think putting them out there more uh, would actually lessen the sort of attention and scrutiny that he gets because he doesn't do the kind of uh, frequent press conferences that we've seen from former presidents. He passed up on the Super Bowl this 
last Sunday. They should have probably put him out there. That's usually sort of a soft uh, interview in yeah, some ways right. and puts the president, I think, in, in a light that he needs to be seen in. Mm-hmm. The thing about this president is he clearly has some memory lapses here here and there. You sure. saw him confuse uh, the president of Mexico and the, Mex- and the president of Egypt. I think he was thinking border, border, border. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, mm-hmm. but he also knows his stuff, right? I mean, he can go into detail about very complex foreign, man- uh, foreign policy Well, that particular matters. gaffe was actually the end of a, a fairly eloquent answer on a totally unrelated exactly. topic, but nobody's going to remember that. Yeah. Nobody seems to remember Donald Trump's gaffes either, or maybe just nobody cares. When you're confusing Nikki Haley with Nancy Pelosi or pointing to the wrong... This happens a lot for him as well. Is part of embracing this also reminding people of Donald Trump's age? I think it's a small part of it, right? Because the reality is that if you look at polling... Voters aren't as concerned about Donald Trump's age and mental capacity as they are about uh, Biden's. There is concern there. It's like 48 percent for 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 Trump and something like 76 percent of voters are concerned about that for for Biden. But there is a different sort of presentation, I think, if Mm -hmm. you look at Donald Trump compared to Joe Biden. Joe Biden just frankly looks a little older and he's only three years older but he looks a little bit frailer and it's partly because he's thinner uh, than Donald Trump Donald Trump I'm sure eats a lot of um, McDonald's cheeseburgers which Proudly. are yeah yeah yes. which are delicious I, I, I yeah I'm a big fan of those <laughs> cheeseburgers as well and so it just hits different as the kids like to say in terms of the the age factor but yes I think they should they should certainly do that you know part of the issue I think with Donald Trump is there are so many other things that voters see when they look at Donald Trump right he has problems with the truth. He has problems, uh, any number of things with January 6th and, and sounding like a wannabe dictator at times. Mm-hmm. So those are the concerns of Americans. Those are the concerns, I think, that the Biden administration is highlighting uh, with age kind of low on the list in terms of what voters are concerned about. Yeah, it's just, I mean, look, it reminds us that we don't all age the same way. Right. Uh, I, look, Donald Trump has four years uh, uh, on, on Joe Biden. Maybe I should say that the other way around. Uh, and four years ago, Joe Biden was looking and sounding a lot different than mm-hmm. he does now. Um, then you start wondering where they will both be four years from now. And it's impossible to quantify, but this is why we have a problem. Uh, we talk about no labels. We talk about a, maybe a late swap here in the race. You're, you're not allowing time for that, are you? These are the two guys. Yeah, gonna... these are the two folks. Uh, listen, you can all turn me of... around on that. Yeah, I mean, there's all sort of sort of fantasy scenarios, sure. right? Gavin right Newsom comes yep. in to save the day. Michelle out of Obama, Calvary. I hear Michelle about it every Obama. other day. <laughs> right Wouldn't she like to know about that? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, you know, Kamala Harris. I think she just gave a recent interview saying that she's ready mm-hmm. to serve. You know, Nikki Haley staying in the race just in case something that happens, you know, happens with Donald Trump. But very likely, these are going to be the people that Americans have to choose between in in November. And one is 77. The other is is 81. I I think he actually might be 82, maybe by the time he's actually on the ballot. So it's it's something that Americans haven't faced before. It's not that Americans haven't had older presidents and Mm -hmm. older presidents, possibly with some sort of impairment. Right. You think about, for instance, Woodrow Wilson. And and then you think about um, Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan. 
exactly, more recently. But those people weren't asking for four more years right. as they were dealing with those it's uh, health impairments. important. We didn't it's, have the 24-7 media cycle either. Exactly. Uh, not to mention Friday night combative news conferences. <laughs> right. Nia Malika Henderson, what a pleasure. We're going to do this more often, Let's I hope. Look it. for her columns at uh, Bloomberg Opinion and at Bloomberg.com. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. We're just getting started here on the fastest show in politics. Thanks for being with us on the radio, on the satellite and YouTube. This is Bloomberg. Face it, your business is unique. It faces challenges and risks that are specific to your industry and to the skills you and your team bring to every challenge. You need experienced insurance professionals. The Hartford accepts the challenge. The Hartford understands that protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can help provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-sized companies like yours to easily manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford faces any challenge to deliver innovative, customizable solutions that your industry and your unique company demand. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Johann Schmiegel, you've got the world's highest IQ. Yes, 247. Wow. Did you know that thanks to Salesforce with Einstein AI, everyone's smarter? Now everyone's an Einstein, just like you. But I'm the smartest. Not anymore. With connected data and trusted AI, everyone can give customers experiences they've only dreamed of. Oh, look, here's a few Einsteins now. Hey, hi. Hola, amigo. Everyone's an Einstein? It's okay, Johan. Let it happen. The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. You're listening to the Bloomberg Balance of Power podcast. Catch us live weekdays at noon Eastern on Apple CarPlay and Android Auto with the Bloomberg Business app. Listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts or watch us live on YouTube. We did get a statement from President Biden after today's data. Didn't talk necessarily about CPI specifically. The first line of the president's statement, today's report shows wage growth has been the strongest (laughs) of any economic recovery. In 50 years, though, he did go on to point out inflation declined by two-thirds from its peak, and he knows there's still work to do to lower costs. Certainly, the data suggests that work still needs to be done. He didn't talk about shelter costs in the statement, did he? No, he did not. There are some problems here, which is why the market is responding the way it did. Uh, This is all about the trajectory, right, And, and expectations. White House has a pretty good economic story to tell, but the market's not buying this. Absolutely not, as the market is now thinking, okay, maybe they weren't going to cut in March. We'd already priced that out. Then the question was May. Now it looks like the odds are on July. Yeah, We're going to be, be nice in the second warm. half of the year. And, and the second half, potentially, of a re-election campaign. That's where we start our conversation with Anna Wong, who's with us here at the table today from Bloomberg Economics. Anna, great to see you. We've talked so much about a potential soft landing, and I wonder how this plays into it. Yeah, so I think today what's interesting is that the the it's a I th- we think that it's the seasonal um, seasonal variation that drove this upside surprise in CPI, mm-hmm. um, and also that you could see that some of the jumps is due to volatile categories like airfares and mm-hmm. hotels, and usually the, they are the the next month it could just go right down. For the Fed, what matters most is the the core PCE deflator, mm-hmm. and we saw from the CPI revisions last week that in fact. In fact, the momentum of shelter prices, housing rents, was actually uh, for a stronger disinflation momentum going into New Year. Um, a large part of that component is actually predictable based on um, real-time private 
measures of rents. And so I think that the, today's CPI report doesn't really change the overall narrative that disinflation is making progress. Mm-hmm. And I, what the market is not pricing in today, however, is the, the, the report of small business surveys, which actually shows that um, small businesses are not planning to hire as many people, uh, which actually would cause the Fed to cut earlier than people thought. Well, they're certainly thinking it won't be as early now today in light of the data, but we know that those expectations, too, are volatile as we consider whether it could be May, maybe July. Um, But Citigroup was actually out with a note yesterday, Anna. I'm, I'm sure you noticed this, essentially saying that traders need to be pricing in the risk of the Fed hiking again, that they shouldn't necessarily be writing that off. And theoretically, inflation data like what we are seeing today suggests that the Fed may think there could be more tightening out there that they need to do. Do you think that that risk is is zero, that there will be another hike this cycle? That's actually a very good question. Actually, AI thinks that uh, uh, Citigroup may be right. So mm-hmm. we built this FedSpeak index using machine learning, which takes into real-time Bloomberg reporting on FedSpeak. And it actually has been flagging that the, the risk for hike is actually non-zero. That, mm-hmm. in fact, based on the rhetoric of Fed officials alone, it suggests huh. that a hike, hike could yeah, possibly be in play. Wow. Did you know we're using AI like this in our reporting, Kaylee? It's amazing. Do you have like a back room with this AI machine? Where is this happening? <laughs> well, the, the AI is actually based on my reading of FedSpeak. So yeah. in this case, the AI is more out front than me. Well, I still think that a rate cut is still the baseline, but it has this been flagging to incredible. us that the, the, the hike is on the table. So we have a secret room somewhere. She's not going to tell us <laughs> well, about Well, but it. the human still has to feed information right. to the robot, yeah. and then the robot then The human trains there. it. However, the human <laughs> thereafter, <laughs> the robot has a mind of its own. That's incredible. It's pretty cool. Well, we are so cool uh, at Bloomberg. This is why, you know, you're here. You mentioned airfares and hotels. Are we still revenge traveling out of COVID? This has never really stopped, has it? I think the revenge traveling is happening with baby boomers. You know, look at cruise mm. bookings, look that? at all these that. And and the baby boomers spending is based on stock market performance. I think as long as S&P 500 is rallying, we will continue to see more excess early retirement and mm. more spending by baby boomers. Interesting. I like cruises. I'm not a baby boomer. I'm a millennial, a cruiser, and I'm a cruiser. Though. But yeah. I know cruisers are a polarizing. <laughs> but went crazy coming topic. out of COVID too, right? Absolutely. But you won't have you time yeah. to go this month because you are here. Well, that's very true. <laughs> 2024, not a great year for travel for Joe and I because there is this whole election cycle going on, and of course, inflation yes, does play. Anna, into thank that. you. It's great to see you. Thanks for your reporting. Yeah. Anna Wong, uh, chief economist, Bloomberg Economics, with an awfully important report today, Kaylee. Absolutely. Now, of course, as we consider inflation, what the economy is doing and how that factors into the minds of voters, we should get a read on how people voters are actually are voting today. Yeah, because people are voting in the state of New York or third district or both if they are breathing the snow. And yeah. Kyle Kondik, the managing editor of Sabato's Crystal Ball at the University of Virginia Center for Politics, have been, has been following New York 3 in addition to polls nationally. If we could just start there, though, Kyle, obviously it's Swazi versus Pillip, the Democrat and the Republican. This snowstorm, though, could potentially make what was going to be a low turnout vote even lower turnout. Who would that benefit most? Hmm. Probably benefit Swazi. Uh, so just to put it in perspective, about 80,000 votes were cast in basically early in, in, in advance in, in 2022. It's the same thing in uh, in this special election, about 80,000 uh, early votes were you know, cast before Election Day. But that was only about 30% of the total votes that ended up being cast, meaning about 70% were cast on Election Day in 2022. 
this time, you know, you'd always expect a special election to be lower than a, you know, than a midterm uh, turnout. Uh, and, and so, you know, I think the percentage of the votes that are cast on Election Day are going to be a lot smaller than they were uh, in 2022. And of course, that was an election that uh, George Santos won by about eight points. Uh, mm -hmm. the, the early electorate in terms of registration was slightly more Democratic. In, 20, uh, 20, in, in this special election than it was in 2022. Of course, Election Day was much more Republican-leaning uh, in, in, you know, in, in terms of performance in 2022. You know, bottom line here is I do think that the snowstorm could have some impact here. And again, if it does, it's probably more helpful to Swazi than a pillow. This is a district won by Joe Biden by eight points in 2020. Yet this race appears to be too close to call. Sienna had Swazi up by four. I think you had the margin of error and you know, a snowstorm could, in fact, make the difference here, Kyle. What does that say about Democratic politics in New York since 2020? Uh, so, you know, Swazi himself said it uh, in the lead up to the election that you know the Democrats have basically lost all, all the elections of consequence in in that you know in that area, in, you know, Long Island, Nassau County, uh, since the 2020 uh, election. There, you know, bad results in 2021, bad results in 2022 when, uh, you know, Republican House gains in, in New York State, both on Long Island and upstate, um, were arguably the difference between Republicans winning or not winning uh, the U.S. House that year. And then uh, Republicans had some more victories in the area in, in 2023. So, you know, a lot of people on both sides of the aisle, when you ask them about this race, they think that the Biden plus eight maybe overstates um, how democratic the district is, particularly at this particular point in time. You know, I, I sometimes think if you if you picked up this district at Biden plus A with the same demographics and you put it in like suburban Philadelphia or suburban Detroit or something, Democrats might actually mm -hmm. have felt better about this race. And, you know, again, I think I'd, I'd probably still rather be, be Swazi than Pillup, particularly based on the fact that it looks like Election Day turnout may not be that great, although Polls don't close until nine o'clock, so there's plenty of time for that to change. But um, obviously, both sides were spending like this was a close to competitive race. And that's what the public polls said. And I think that's what yeah. the, the private polling was indicating as well. Yeah, pretty remarkable the amount of spend we have seen, considering ultimately this may be a seat that's only held for 11 months because it's February of 2023 and there's going to be an election in November of, of 2024 and there could be some redistricting to consider here as well. Obviously, that's because this seat was vacated in a historic ouster of George Santos, as you mentioned. Was it a mistake for Swazi not to go after the Santos legacy specifically harder than he did? You know, I, you have heard some of that from from Swazi and from Democrats because um, Pillip has not been an unusual, you know, particularly energetic camp, uh, campaigner. Um, the, you know, she, mm -hmm. the media has been sort of critical of her for not talking to the press, which you know, the, I don't know if that necessarily matters all that much. But um, but you know, she hasn't uh, uh, been maybe as visible, I think, as. Uh, as maybe some Republicans would have, would have, would have liked. Uh, and, uh, you know, there is some indication just historically speaking that, you know, if a, if a, uh, if, if a member has to resign uh, that and there's a special election, the party of the member who resigns sometimes pays a price in the special election. Um, and so maybe that also helps, helps, uh, helps Swazi in the, in this race, uh, you know, as, as effectively the challenger in this seat, even though he used to be the incumbent prior to, uh, to, to 2022. Um, so that, yeah, that's a factor to watch. But I would say that that did come up to some degree in this campaign. Has George Santos been forgotten? <laughs> At one point, this was going to be a Democratic seat for the rest of our lives because of what he pulled off. Now we're hardly talking about him, at least in the conversation surrounding this special election. 
people have pretty short memories, I think, although Santos himself has remained, he's kind of this celebrity now. Um, he, you know, during the, uh, when, when the House Republicans failed to uh, get through the, the impeachment of uh, Secretary of Homeland Security, Mayorkas recently, uh, he tweeted out, miss me yet, <laughs> which I thought was kind of funny. It was like those uh, George W. Bush uh, 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 billboards uh, after Obama took office. It was it was kind of a funny inside joke. But uh, Santos is, you know, he's still a, basically a, a public figure, although, you know, he's going to have his own reckoning with the law, it seems like, here sooner rather than later. But, you know, people move on pretty quickly. Uh, I want to go back to the point you were making a few minutes ago, Kyle, about how if this district were a suburb instead of another city like Philadelphia, instead of being on Long Island, it may be different. To what extent should we be viewing today's vote as a litmus test for New York State broadly in 2024 and, and then just broadly national electoral politics? What is it realistically going to tell us? I would caution against drawing too many conclusions uh, from any uh, special election, you know, generally speaking, the special elections in um, mostly state legislative races, what we've had since the twenty, uh, since the Dobbs decision uh, in in midsummer of uh, of of, of uh, twenty twenty two, um, you know, generally speaking, it's gone pretty well for for, uh, uh, for for Democrats. And if the Democrats do win the day, it would be within in keeping with that. But you know, again, New York has been pretty bad for Democrats. It may not necessarily be comparable directly to um, some of the other swing states. Um, so, so again, for lots of different reasons, don't make broad conclusions about this. It is important, though, in the sense that you know, the Democrats only need to win five more seats than they won in 2022 to win the House back. And this could effectively be one of them. I think if Swazi wins today, I think he's probably favored going into November, particularly if he gets some help in redistricting, which, as you mentioned, is another um, wild card. Mm -hmm. We're talking with Kyle Kondik from Sabato's Crystal Ball, where he's managing editor with an eye on New York 3, the special election that's underway today to fill the seat once held by George Santos. Uh, polls on Long Island don't close till 9 o'clock tonight, Kyle. This is going to be a late call, huh? Yeah, that, that, that's right. And, and again, that might also mitigate some of the problems with, with people voting because of the, the snow today. Uh, at least mm -hmm. if people do want to break the elements, the weather gets better, um, they'll have an opportunity to do so. And of course, there is yeah. fairly robust, uh, you know, early slash absentee voting in New York State now that didn't always used to be the case. But uh, so, again, you, you had an early slash you know, absentee vote that was very comparable to what was done in the in the 2022 uh, midterm. So, um, you know, people did have an opportunity to, to, to vote in advance here, which really is the whole point yeah. of having those sort of options. <laughs> so today's bringing the special election, a snowstorm with it. It also brought inflation data, Kyle, that we were speaking about a moment ago, hotter than expected, not necessarily heading in the right direction if you're an incumbent. To what extent is the economy still weighing top of mind for voters, not just in New York 3, but broadly, or has it now been supplanted by immigration and the border? It seems like the economy and immigration are two you know, big factors in, in people's perceptions of things. You know, Biden is not perceived as doing particularly well on either of those uh, important issues. And so, you know, any White House would want the economic news to be as good as possible. Uh, you know, I think you all were just talking before about how you could certainly could point to some positive indicators on the economy. But, you know, inflation is still a problem. And again, no matter what the rate is, uh, I do think people sort of feel higher prices and just paying more for stuff than yeah. they did a few years ago. And that would be the case even if, you know, if inflation itself, the inflation rate is uh, is, 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 is getting smaller, you know, the, the higher prices mm -hmm. compared to the past. Still means prices are 
Wonderful going up. <laughs> ever not be talking about this with Kyle Connor. <laughs> Great to see you, Kyle. Thank you. Uh, we'll keep you posted, of course, on the results from New York 3. I'm guessing that's going to be tomorrow, uh, Kaylee, right here on Balance of Power. Face it, your business is unique. It faces challenges and risks that are specific to your industry and to the skills you and your team bring to every challenge. You need experienced insurance professionals. The Hartford accepts the challenge. The Hartford understands that protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can help provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-sized companies like yours to easily manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With experience in underwriting, risk engineering services and claims, the Hartford faces any challenge to deliver innovative, customizable solutions that your industry and your unique company demand. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Johann Schmiegel, you've got the world's highest IQ. Yes, 247. Wow. Did you know that thanks to Salesforce with Einstein AI, everyone's smarter? Now everyone's an Einstein, just like you. But I'm the smartest. Not anymore. With connected data and trusted AI, everyone can give customers experiences they've only dreamed of. Oh, look, here's a few Einsteins now. Hey, hi. Hola, amigo. Everyone's an Einstein? It's okay, Johan. Let it happen. The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. You're listening to the Bloomberg Balance of Power podcast. Catch us live weekdays at noon Eastern on Apple CarPlay and Android Auto with the Bloomberg Business app. You can also listen live on Amazon Alexa from our flagship New York station. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. Welcome, indeed, to the Tuesday. Is it really only Tuesday? A lot's happened already this week. The Tuesday edition of Balance of Power, Fat Tuesday. With a hotter-than-expected CPI, and look at this, something that got done in the United States Senate. I'm as amazed as you are to wake up to the head. They worked all night. They went through. It's almost 6 o'clock in the morning when it passed, 70 to 29. This is the National Security Supplemental, Emergency Supplemental Request, funding for Ukraine for Israel and Taiwan. The question remains, what happens when it goes to the House? Because the Speaker preemptively uh, said that this would never pass the House, and it doesn't appear that he even wants to bring it to the floor. So we'll find out about that. It's going to take a minute. Arriving in town in the middle of all of this is Maros Shevchevich, Executive Vice President of the European Commission for the European Green Deal, Interinstitutional Relations and Foresight. How about that for a title? Mr. Vice President, welcome to Washington. How did I do with the pronouncer? Uh, absolutely perfect. Well, I, I mean, you're a great linguist. This I is have, all but, I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no one's ever said that before. Thank no. you. Welcome to the nation's Thank capital. You. It's great to see you here. You're meeting with lawmakers, with members of the yeah. administration, uh, with uh, energy stakeholders here. And energy cooperation against the backdrop of this war in Ukraine is your priority here as you Absolutely. move from meeting to meeting. Uh, do you worry about this debate here about funding Ukraine, about the U.S. potentially pulling back? What are you hearing as you have meetings around? Time? Of course, we are following it very, very closely. And I and I know that these are uh, difficult decisions to make, especially in the current political circumstances on both sides of the, of the Atlantic. But uh, um, we delivered. We just approved 50 billion euros for Ukraine. So altogether, our, our assistance so far is... Uh, uh, 150 uh, billion euros, which is, I would say, at this stage, twice as high as uh, the American one, yeah. even though we, of course, clearly know that uh, without U.S., especially the military supplies, the, the situation in Ukraine would be very, very dramatic. So we clearly been kind of pleading, hoping, and um, 
and I'm arguing that uh, how the U.S. component of this assistance is absolutely crucial. If the Ukrainians need uh, help sometime, it's now. And I, and I hope that uh, both of us will deliver and will, will help uh, Ukraine to defend uh, itself. Do, do European leaders believe it's just a matter of time for the U.S. to complete its debate and, and, and get this done, that it will eventually happen? I mean, we've been really encouraged but very um, uh, uh, strong uh, statements coming from the President Biden and mm-hmm. from the White House and also administration officials yesterday have been very clear that they, they want this to happen. Very much encouraged by the votes uh, in the Senate. But of course, uh, uh, I know that this is not the last uh, step in that, in that process. But I mean, looking at what's happening in uh, in, in in Ukraine, I think it's it's, it's clear that it should be imperative to to help them to to get mm-hmm. them the the means to 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 defend themselves because sure. they are also you know uh, defending our set of values. Well, you're you've got LNG on uh, your agenda yeah. as well. You had an important meeting this morning, I know, with executives. I saw on Twitter you were meeting with President Biden's energy advisor, yeah. Amos Hochstein, who spent a lot of time with us here at Bloomberg talking about energy policy. What did he tell you about the the administration's decision to halt LNG uh, export approvals and, and its potential impact on Europe. Yeah. I think that also in my meetings yesterday with uh, with Amos and uh, other uh, top representatives of the um, uh, administration, I was I was highlighting the fact that probably this is uh, uh, new for United States of America, but uh, uh, U.S. has really become the the guarantor of the global energy security. So any statement coming from the Washington D.C. on the matter of LNG, on the matter of uh, energy, energy supplies, immediately has, I would say, kind of, kind of rippling effect all across all across uh, uh, the, the the global global markets. And therefore, I, I have to say that I was very pleased yesterday. Uh, I was reassured that this would not affect uh, Europe in, in, in coming couple of years, mm-hmm. that by 2030, actually, the export capacity of U.S. LNG uh, sector should, should, should double and uh, uh, that uh, U.S. Will, will play this very important role, helping us to shift away from, mm. from uh, Russian fossil supplies, because with, without uh, uh, U.S. LNG uh, supplies, I mean, it would be in, in very, very tough place. Anyway, we've been... Uh, in the worst energy crisis uh, since 70s over the last two years. So for us, it's, of course, uh, uh, extremely important. And if you look a little bit beyond Europe, uh, and therefore my, my underscoring of this, of this global uh, responsibility of uh, the United States is the fact that I was working very closely with John Kerry in, in, in Dubai. Yeah. There is clear pledge uh, to phase out coal. And if you look, uh, uh, that gas has only half of carbon intensity of coal. How much of the gas would be needed in India and Southeast Asia and all the places? So I think that uh, clearly the the, the LNG uh, sector of the U.S. would would have, uh, uh, I would say, global role to play. Mm-hmm. Is it safe to say then that the U.S. has provided you assurances when it comes to LNG supply while these reviews take place? Yes, I, I was reassured yesterday by all my inter, interlocutors, including um, uh, in the discussion with Mr. Uh, John Podesta. On top of it, mm-hmm. uh, it was highlighted that there is uh, also reference to, to eventually then uh, and uh, eventual situations of the emergency character. And, and we had uh, very, very good uh, uh, dialogue uh, with the administrations throughout uh, the years since uh, uh, the war in Ukraine started. And I think that the fact that uh, USLNG is, is now the number one exported to Europe is just proof that we that we found the solution and 56 billion cubic meters came 
It was even six billion about that political agreement which President Biden had with uh, my boss, President uh, uh, von der Leyen. And of course, we we hope for more in the future. So I was actually presenting to the to the LNG uh, exporters uh, how our common purchase of gas platform functions, mm-hmm. how we are aggregating demand, how we are bringing new potential customers to them. And I was also highlighting that we are going to offer new product where uh, the contracts up to five years would be now possible. And and we are starting the market survey even on the longer term, up to 20 years, depending if that would be interesting for buyers in Europe and, and bidders in the, in, in the States. And therefore, we just wanted to start the conversations uh, with them. This, so five years of security is what you're talking about here. That sounds like you get almost to 2030 when this would all be done in the U.S. I think that uh, what uh, when I was referring to the five years, I was referring to the uh, contracts uh, now sure. the bidders could sign uh, on, on the platform which we created for common uh, common purchase of gas, but I know mm-hmm. that uh, a lot of uh, uh, like trade is going al- uh, also outside of the platform, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, uh, most of the um, bids which came from uh, from US uh, LNG been well placed in Europe, and they supplied uh, 56 billion cubic meters, which was very important because just to give you one figure. Before the war, we've been importing up to 150 billion cubic meters from Russia. Uh-huh. Now we're down to 40, and we had to, like, found new 100 billion cubic meters within the space of one year. So, I mean, you would appreciate how challenging that was. And we even had to curtail the consumption, uh, lower some uh, energy activity in energy-intensive uh, industries. And, 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 of course, we want, again, to perform at our uh, optimal potential if it comes to mm-hmm. European economy. I have to ask you about stories uh, that we're uh, reporting about Venture Global. Uh, what can you tell us about this ongoing dispute with Venture Global and the contracts that BP and Shell and some European companies say should start now? Of course, I mean, it's very difficult uh, for us to comment because I understand that uh, um, it's under uh, the litigation, so Mm -hmm. most probably there will be a um, uh, court hearing and court eventually decision in 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 that uh, in that regard. So we haven't seen the contracts, uh, and uh, what is very important for us that also this uh, uh, situation settles as soon as possible because uh, we want also the the long term contracts which have been signed to be to be respected and uh, and 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 appropriate level mm-hmm. of gas uh, supplied uh, to EU because I am absolutely convinced that we are closest uh, allies of United States of America and we go through yeah. uh, a rough patch with uh, two wars very close to our borders with all the uh, repercussions you might, you might mm-hmm. uh, imagine. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're aiming for carbon neutrality in 2050. The UN asks for 2040. What's the difference? I think we, uh, of course, the uh, the, the huge uh, difference is that to to be to become car- carbon neutral. I mean, Europe believes that we will be the first uh, carbon uh, neutral continent. Mm-hmm. I think the United States of America have the the similar similar ambition, and and it's a, a no mean mean feat. It's a, extremely uh, challenging because I think we progress a lot. Uh, with uh, uh, energy sector, but uh, to kind of uh, phase out uh, fossil f- fuels for heating and cooling of yeah. the buildings, from from transport, from aviation, it's 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 a challenge. So therefore, we are, um, I would say, carefully planning how this can be done. Yeah. A lot would depend on the on the technological development, and therefore, I was so thrilled when 
uh, I visited MIT this weekend. I was on Saturday in the Fusion Lab, and I and, and I think that I saw the future because mm. I mean the, these guys what they are doing there is it's pretty impressive. I'm glad that this is EU US mm-hmm. uh, cooperation that there are also European big companies investing in in that venture, right. and that could bring us the the clean energy we need. Right. Fascinating conversation. He's the executive vice president of the European Commission for European Green Deal, Interinstitutional Relations and Foresight. <laughs> I don't know how you fit it all on a business card, but we thank you. Manoj Shefjevic, great to see you in Washington. Get home safe. Good luck with your meetings. Thanks for listening to the Balance of Power podcast. Make sure to subscribe if you haven't already at Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can find us live every weekday from Washington, D.C. at noontime Eastern at Bloomberg.com. Meet Gary. Gary's about to become an Einstein in an instant. Whoa, Einstein hair. I like it. That's right, Gary, because you're using Salesforce powered by Einstein AI to connect data, predict business trends, generate personalized content, and wow customers. I do feel a lot smarter. Because you're not just Gary anymore. You're Gary, empowered by Einstein AI. Did you hear that, team? I'm an Einstein. Oh, can I get a selfie? The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com.